Good morning. I just want to say a public thank you to everyone for such wonderful birthday cards and gifts, and especially for the painting party. I had a blast, and I hope you did too. We have some real talented people here. There's some beautiful masterpieces back there, and I'm thankful for it. Before we get into the message this morning, I actually feel very torn. I had a conversation with someone this week, and he told me that his family had just been completely torn apart. All of the, all of the people, children, aunts, uncles, everybody was just devastated by some things that had happened in their family. And he said, what can I do? And I said, you can forgive and turn it over to the Lord. And I took this to the Lord and he gave me this message this morning. What Satan meant for evil, God can turn for good. No matter who it is, no matter what the situation. And I'm, I want to tell you that by way of background, we're going to be looking in the 49th chapter of the book of Genesis. And you all know that when I start crying, the, the Lord is moving. That's what's going on. I'm not sad or upset or anything like that. It's just the way the Lord moves on me, and I can't help it. I can't do anything about it, so I'll try my best to get through it anyway. We see in the 49th chapter, Lord, I ask your presence. Lord, I ask the moving of the Holy Spirit in hearts that are here in this building and hearts that will hear this outside of this building. For Lord, I know that they are listening and I know that they are seeking, Lord, help and guidance and understanding of what your word means. And I pray now for the anointing to fall upon this message in Jesus' name. We see that Jacob is almost gone. He's an old man and he's about to die in Egypt. And we won't go into the whole history of how he was in Canaan and all the meanness that the brothers did. We'll get into a little bit about that, but that's why Jacob is in Egypt instead of in Canaan about to die. So now, as all good Jewish fathers would do, he calls his sons together and he decides he's going to bless the sons. But this blessing has several facets to it and we're gonna go through this in just a minute and I'm gonna enumerate what these blessings per son who, as you know, turned into the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob was the father of these men, and these sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah, as you know, were sisters, and you know that story about Laban. But he also had a concubine and a borrowed wife. So Jacob had Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, and Bilhah, who gave birth to all 12 of these sons. Leah's sons were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter named Dinah. Rachel birthed Joseph and Benjamin, the two youngest. Zilpah birthed Gad and Asher, and Bilhah birthed Dan and Naphtali. So I read that because the mothers can give us a little bit of color as to what their sons turned out to do and to be. So as Jacob is beginning the blessing process in the 49th chapter, firstborn was Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, and Jacob said of him, he is as unstable as water. He prophesied that he would not excel because of the sin that Reuben had committed with Jacob's own concubine, Bilhah. And this kind of behavior followed the tribe of Reuben all through history. Simeon and Levi were next. Jacob said, they are true brethren, having the same mother who was Leah. And of them, they are instruments of cruelty. Think about it. Having loved their secret slayings, and their deceit in closed doors. Jacob said, I will divide you. These are prophetic statements. I will provide you and scatter you all throughout Israel. Next is Judah. Listen to this blessing. Judah, the one whom all the brothers will praise, couched down as a young lion, the lion of Judah, from whose tribe the royal lineage of Christ would come. And the scepter or the royal ruling rod would never depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, till Shiloh comes, prophetically speaking of the second coming of Christ, when all the people will be gathered to him. Then Zebulon, Zebulun was to dwell by the sea, both the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee, and he would be a safe haven for ships passing by. Then Issachar, Jacob pronounced him to be a strong donkey, able to bear heavy burdens, but too lazy to do the work. And this tribe was the third in size of all the tribes. They became the slaves of the Egyptians and others who would conquer them as well, simply because they were too lazy to fight for their freedom. Then came Dan. Dan was to be the judging tribe from whence Judge Samson came. It said that Dan was to be a serpent by the way, or an adder in the path that would bite the horse's heels and unseat the one in the, in the rider in the saddle, saying, I have waited, O God, for thy, thy salvation, a seeker of justice. 
of Gad, Jacob said, a troop shall overcome him. And we know this did occur in the book of Jeremiah, but Gad shall be the overcomer in the end. Charles Spurgeon said that this has been the blessing of many children of God, to fight, to lose the battle, yet to win the war in the end. Then Asher, he would have rich bread and oil. This tribe would sustain many, and they would enjoy not only the necessities of life, but also be blessed with royal dainties. Wouldn't you like to be in Asher's tribe? Naphtali would be like a hind let loose, or a deer let loose, speaking beautiful, poetic words, and they would become the tribe of orators. And now I'm gonna skip Joseph. He would be next in the lineage, but I'm gonna skip him for a minute and go to Benjamin. And jo Jacob said of Benjamin, he's a ravenous wolf. All morning he gorges on his kill, and at evening he divides up what's left over with others. For he had courage, cunning, and fierce determination. And this would become the tribe of warriors. So we see that Jacob has blessed or judged so far as it may be. And now it's Joseph's turn. And if you would look at uh, chapter 49, verses 22 through 26, I'm going to read this in the Message Bible, which I just got. I like it, sort of. I'm getting used to it a little bit. I will not use it predominantly, but as a reference, I think it's a nice uh, option. And I want to read these three or four verses out of the Message Bible this morning. And this is Jacob's blessing of Joseph. Joseph is a wild donkey, a wild donkey by a spring, spirited donkeys on a hill. The archers attacked with malice, shooting their hate-tipped arrows, but he held steady under fire. His bow was firm and his arms were limber. With the backing of the champion of Jacob, and those are in capital letters, the shepherd also in capital letters, and the rock of Israel, the God of your father, may he help you. And may the strong God, may he give you his blessings. <coughs> Excuse me. Blessings tumbling out of the skies. Blessings bursting up from the earth. Blessings of breasts and the womb. May the blessings of your father exceed the blessings of the ancient mountains. Surpass the delights of eternal hills. And may they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the one consecrated to God among all his brothers. Isn't that a beautiful word to be said over Joseph? If you heard just these beautiful, wonderful blessings about Joseph, one might think that he led an easy, luxurious life of peace and contentment but we know that nothing could be further from the truth. Joseph's family life 
was a complete and utter disaster. While he was the favored son, he was the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, and he was pampered and protected, and he lived righteously before God. He was persecuted unmercifully by his family at every turn. In a bit of a detour here, you remember that Jacob's father-in-law, Laban, was also a deceitful man, plotting and planning to get Jacob to labor in his company for 20 years, going back on his word over and over, 14 years of labor to win Laban's daughter Rachel as his wife, and then six more years to obtain a flock of a herd of his own. And then as Jacob was leaving Laban's employment and taking his wife and his children and his animals with him, Laban all but kidnapped Jacob to keep him in his own employment. One Jewish writer said that Laban is known among Jewish writers as the deceitful one. He's described as one of the nation of Israel's most dangerous enemies. Can you think of why? It's because he tried to stop the formation of the 12 tribes of Israel from whence our Savior came. Other Jewish writers say that Laban either was the same person named Balaam, or that he became Balaam's mentor, and that he filled him full of witchcraft and impurities. So we can kind of see here the, the kind of ancestral history that was prevalent in Joseph's family, and some of the things that went on had very deep roots that went back far. And of course, you remember that all of these terrible family dynamics that Joseph endured were at the hands of his brothers. That started with the coat of many colors that his father Jacob had made for him and presented to Jacob with great fanfare. To the jealous brothers, this, look, this coat symbolized favoritism, nobility, and luxury, unlike the hard man working clothes that the brothers were given to wear. The unimaginable atrocities that these family members inflicted on Joseph included deceit, almost murder, attempted murder, destruction of all sorts, selling him into slavery to the Egyptian pharaoh and taking such glee, if you remember, telling his father, Jacob, that his best-loved son was dead and presenting the mangled, bloody coat of many colors as proof. And yet they devised the plan themselves. It was their evil doing for they had sold Jacob in, Joseph excuse me, into slavery. The hardest part for us to grasp in this story is why Joseph 
an innocent, righteous man had to endure all of this terrible treatment at the hands of his own family, people who were to love him and that he loved. The brothers plotted the evil scheme to sell Joseph into slavery to the Egyptian pharaoh, whom they knew would and could kill Joseph at any time. But God had a different plan, and God intervened. Because the favor in Pharaoh's eyes toward Joseph was orchestrated by God in spite of the evil intent that was put upon him. For Joseph served as Pharaoh's right-hand man. He was put in a position of great power and authority, unlike any other slave. When Jacob died, jo Joseph petitioned Pharaoh to allow him to take some time away from his governmental duties and to go bury his father in Canaan, which was Jacob's last request. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh sent all of his high-ranking dignitaries with jo Joseph to help him and support him along the way to bury his father. He appointed embalmers of the Egyptians to embalm J Joseph's father and put him in the best coffin that they had to bury him in. Pharaoh sent chariots and horsemen and mourners, and the Bible said it created a huge procession in honor of Joseph's father. All because the favor that God orchestrated for Joseph he turned the evil into favor. After the burial, Joseph left Canaan because he told Pharaoh, after I take this time and bury my father, I will come back and resume my duties. So he went back just as he told Pharaoh he would do. And then all of Jacob's, or Joseph's brothers had seen firsthand all this favor that had been bestowed upon their so-hated brother, Joseph. They had a powwow, and they decided that Joseph is probably holding a grudge against them and that he may choose to serve recompense on the brothers and pay them back for all the evil things that they had done to him. So they sent Joseph a message telling him that it was their father's dying wish that all the brothers be reconciled. And that, yes, they had done terrible things to him, but it was their father's wish that Joseph forgive them and reconcile the family. And when Joseph received the message, the Bible says he wept. Genesis 50, verses 18 through 21 then the brothers went back to Egypt in person to Joseph. And they humbled themselves, and they threw themselves on the ground before him, and they said, Joseph, we will be your slaves. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see that what you planned, all this evil against me, God used those very same plans 
for my good, but not only my good, all that you see around you, life for many people. You can be easy now. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. And he spoke this from his heart. We can't understand why some family dynamics are so horrible and cause suffering to so many people. We surely can understand why. If we're good, why must we suffer these injustices? But I want to tell you, regardless of our history of family dynamics, regardless of the depth of the sufferings, regardless of when we are righteous before God, God can take those same evil plans that hurt us so badly and turn them around to benefit not only us, but all those others around us who are the benefactors of what God has done. You will remember the famine that came to Egypt and Pharaoh had put Joseph in charge of managing the food supply so they wouldn't run out. And Joseph had storehouse after storehouse of food prepared for the people. And they came to Joseph and he doled it out to them and sustained many lives through the horrible famine. It's true that Joseph had to suffer the pain. He had to walk through those humiliating, degrading, horrible things that his brothers, whom he loved and were supposed to love him, had put him through. But in Joseph's own words, God allowed it all so that in the end, Joseph was the one who provided the life-sustaining provisions that saved not only him, not only his brothers, but the, the country, the nation of Egypt. God saved Joseph from terrible opposition, abuse by his own family, being framed by Potiphar's wife, any one of these could have destroyed him and brought utter defeat to his spirit. But God turned it around so that in the end, Joseph could forgive and reconcile and save his brothers. Think about this. God saved his own son, Jesus who also spent time in Egypt, fleeing from the wrath of Herod who was trying to kill him so that he could save the world, including us. Joseph ended up in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. He remained faithful to God and Hebrews 11.22 tells us that on his deathbed, Joseph was the one who prophesied the escape of Israel from Egypt. Again, being greatly used by God during hardship. I want to say that if I ask for a show of hands, every one of us could say that our spirits have been harmed and hurt 
Maybe even our bodies have been harmed and hurt by those who loved us or were supposed to have loved us. But I'm going to tell you the same message that was evident through the life of Joseph. If we surrender all, God can take that pain. He can take that devastation and turn it into something that not only benefits me, but even benefits the ones who perpetrated the hurt and the pain on me and others who are involved. Romans 8.28 promises it. In fact, it is a fact of our knowing. This is what the Bible says. And we know, it is a fact, that all things work together for good to them that love God. Joseph loved God. He was innocent. He didn't deserve it. But all things work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. We may have to stick around to the end to see it. We may have to stick around through the hard part, the mucky, yucky stuff, but surrender it all because God can cause great things to come when we do that. I was... I asked Audrey to sing this, that uh, verse again of victory in Jesus. After the Lord gave me this sermon the other day, I was in my bed and I was just praising the Lord and just worshiping and having a grand old time. And that song came to my mind. There's victory in Jesus. Even when we can't see it, we, we know what the word says and we can trust it and believe it. It said, somehow God came and fixed my broken spirit. Somehow in his arsenal of God ways that we don't know, we don't know how he thinks, we don't know how he works, but he has ways. You know, we think of the song, I Surrender All, as an altar call song. But there's some words in this song that are so beautiful. If you want to look at your, your hymnal, it's on page 136. Thank you, Claire, for looking it up for me. It says, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his service daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, wholly thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine.
All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power and let thy blessing fall on me, just like Jacob blessed Joseph. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel that sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. In closing, would you stand with me? We're going to sing this. I do feel that somebody, in addition to the friend that I spoke with, may need this story today. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have given it to me because he's a very relevant, present help in the time of need, in the time of trouble. Andre, I can't reach this, so you gotta hit the high notes. <laughs>
for work to um, different, um, it was for ministry, to go to a ministry event. And I called this lady who's in Arizona, and I said, you know, do you know about our event? And she said, honey, can you call me back in an hour? And I said, oh, sure. She calls me back in 30 minutes, and she said, God has a word for you. And she poured out for about, 20 minutes of all these things she did not know me she didn't know anything about me she I just called her and she came back and she said God said um, thank you so much for giving all your pain to him thank you I, I didn't know like God said thank you to me because I gave him my pain and I just wanted to share that because I feel like it means something to him when we don't keep it to ourselves and then we give it to him and he she said i just she said i can smell your fragrance from arizona i can smell it's a beautiful perfume this and, and you know when they 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 make perfume like the, those those petals are crushed and so just the fragrance she says like a garden it's so beautiful and i just want you to just be encouraged to give your pain to god he will thank you for it and you i, I the pain that i that i had experienced i like some of that pain would just come back and torment me and like oh i remember this and that and this and that and i'm sure it was the enemy trying to like keep those memories alive and I just when I mentioned at the beginning of worship that God reminded me of all these things that he brought me through um, and gave me victory I had forgotten every bit of it like I, he, I I didn't it didn't live in me anymore I gave it away I surrendered it completely I can't even remember that those things that happened to me or got I had gone through it that's how much that was taken away from me. So I just uh, just wanted to share that testimony because I just feel like it's the it it, it matched the sermon. <laughs> 